It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains graphic descriptions of gun violence and its consequences. And, as a reminder, we will list and discuss our sources at the end of the episode. Once, when I was a child... I remember sitting in my local McDonald's, looking around at the wide variety of people around me, and thinking how remarkable it was that fate had brought such a random group of people together, just because they all happened to decide to go to a fast food restaurant at the same time. We wonder if anyone sitting at the San Isidro McDonald's on the afternoon of July 18, 1984, had those sorts of thoughts as they looked around the restaurant at people like Lawrence Verslias. Lawrence, who always seemed to have a pipe clenched in his teeth, was 62 years old 
and had spent the last 38 years of his life working as a truck driver, hauling cargo to area retail stores and discount houses. He liked taking his afternoon coffee breaks at McDonald's, because he could always find someone there to talk to. Maybe he chatted that day with someone about his future. Lawrence was retiring from his job in just two days and had much to look forward to. Miguel Victoria and his wife Alicia are there too. The couple are in their 70s and live just across the border in Tijuana. They cross over to San Isidro regularly to spend time with their daughter-in-law. She was a widow. Her husband, the Victoria's son, had been killed in an airport accident. After spending time with her, they swung by the McDonald's to grab some burgers for another one of their sons. Younger people frequented the restaurant too, of course. The McDonald's had one of the few playgrounds in the area, and so was quite popular with the kids. But that is not why Omar Hernandez, David Flores, and Joshua Coleman, all aged 11, were there that day. The boys met up at Joshua's grandmother's house and biked there to get sodas. Jackie Reyes, 18, her 8-month-old son Carlos, and her friend Maria Comanero Silva, 18, stood near the counter. They had spent the day going to places like Kmart and Target, buying clothes and decorations for the wedding of a relative in Tijuana. They're shopping over, and only a few blocks away from Jackie's apartment, they dropped in to order hamburgers, french fries, and Cokes to go. They got their original order, but one of them decided they also wanted a hot apple pie, and that would take just a few minutes longer. The manager of the place was 22-year-old Neva Kane. She was a newlywed. She'd just gotten married to a young chiropractor the month before. They recently got a new apartment and devoted most of their weekends to looking for furniture. The couple planned to eat when Neva got off work at 5 p.m. and look at some wedding pictures they had just gotten back. And then there was James Oliver Huberty. The 41-year-old lived nearby and had spent much of his day with his wife and two daughters at the zoo. Unlike the others, he was not there because it was his job or because he wanted a burger or to chat with someone over a cup of coffee. He was there because he wanted to kill everyone else. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenley. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, The Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout Season 1 to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're the Murder Sheet, and this is the San Isidro McDonald's Massacre.
Afterwards, it seems difficult to imagine how anyone could miss all of the warning signs. Before moving to California, James Huberty, his wife Etna, and their two daughters Zelia and Cassandra had lived in Massillon, Ohio. People there did not remember Huberty fondly. He collected guns and often talked about using them on other people. Terry Kelly, who used to work with Huberty, recalled that his colleague was always talking about shooting somebody. At one point, after losing his job, Huberty even told Kelly that if this setback marked the end of his ability to support his family, that he would then take everyone with him. Huberty and his family left Ohio for what they hoped would be a better life in California. But Huberty had the same sort of trouble keeping a job there as well. In fact, not long before his visit to McDonald's, he had been fired from a job as a security guard at a condominium complex. And his mental state seemed to be deteriorating. He started to hear voices in his head and began to have conversations with people who weren't there. His wife, Etna, also recalled that he became obsessed with ideas about war. This obsession took a rather odd turn one day during the winter before what happened at McDonald's. Huberty approached a police officer and made a startling confession. Huberty revealed that he was a war criminal. The presumably baffled police officer loaded Huberty into the back of his vehicle and took off as a nervous Etna looked on. She tried to follow the car, but it got away from her, and so she went home. Her husband returned after about an hour. He explained that the police had talked to him and then let him go. He had walked home. Despite this sort of odd behavior, and the fact that Huberty beat her and their daughters, Etna remained protective of her husband. Even after everything that happened, she tried to paint him as a bit of a tragic, lost soul. He has always been a nervous person who could not take much pressure, she wrote in a letter to San Diego TV station KFMB. He was always very sad and lonely. His only close friend was his dog, Shep. In a normal state of mind, he loved children, in particular little girls. He would never harm a child. The problem was that he seemed to be in a normal state of mind less and less as time went on. A couple of weeks before McDonald's, Huberty put a loaded gun to his head to kill himself. His wife literally pried his fingers away from the gun, saving his life. Later, she said she regretted doing this. On some level, Huberty himself sensed he badly needed help. The day before McDonald's, Huberty reached out to a local mental health counseling clinic, calling them to try to make an appointment. But they never called him back. Society had its chance, Huberty told his wife. They talked about God that night. Huberty told his wife that Christ was not as tall as one would think. He said God was just two feet tall and had a long beard. Afterwards, they watched a rerun of The Pink Panther. When the movie ended, Huberty remained in his chair, his eyes shut. His mouth was going and his hand was moving, recalled his wife. I didn't know whether to try to talk to him or take his arm and shake him, try to wake him and say, stop this and shape up. 
Instead, she watched him for a bit and then went to bed alone. The next morning, Huberty had to go to court, but it was just for a minor traffic violation. He'd been caught crossing a double yellow line. But he talked his way out of it, pleading ignorance, and did not get fined. After stopping for a quick breakfast at the Claremont McDonald's, the Huberty family headed to the zoo. He was quiet, Edna remembered later. He looked at the animals. There were no arguments. The family then headed back to their apartment, which was located about a block away from the San Ysidro McDonald's. Edna felt tired and decided to take a nap. Huberty told her he was going out and started to change his clothes, putting on a dark t-shirt and combat fatigues. Etna asked him where he was going. I'm going hunting humans, he replied. Let's take a quick break from the murder sheet to tell you about a podcast investigating yet another unforgettable crime. The Orange Tree is a seven-part series about a 2005 homicide that happened near the University of Texas at Austin. The murder of 21-year-old Jennifer Cave, who was shot, dismembered, and left in a bathtub at her friend Colton Petoniak's apartment, continues to haunt the area to this day. Like the Burger Chef murders, this case features plenty of twists and turns, including Colton's flight to Mexico with another UT student, Laura Hall. Both were later convicted in connection with the crime, although Colton has continued to appeal his verdict and claim innocence. The business student turned convicted murderer now says that he doesn't even remember much about the night Jennifer died. The Orange Tree is reported on and produced by Haley Butler and Tanu Thomas, who were both seniors at the University of Texas when they started this project. Together, Haley and Tanu strive to piece together this tragic story in an in-depth podcast that features audio from courtroom scenes and interrogation rooms, prison phone calls, and exclusive interviews with both the perpetrators and the victim's family. You can binge all seven episodes of The Orange Tree today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. 
With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20 percent of your weight in one year in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, back to the murder sheet. Huberty walked into the San Isidro McDonald's armed with a semi-automatic rifle, a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, and a semi-automatic pistol. He also carried a cloth bag, which contained an AM-FM radio. He immediately started yelling to the people there, barking out orders. Freeze, he said. I killed thousands in Vietnam, and I'll kill thousands more. Down, you swine. I'm going to kill you all. And then he started shooting and shooting and shooting. One witness claimed that Jackie Reyes, who was holding her eight-month-old son in her arms, was the first one shot, and that Huberty shot her again and again and again, as if he wanted to make her suffer. Jackie turned away from this hail of gunfire, perhaps trying to shield her baby from the bullets. But it didn't work. Both of them were shot. Carlos Jr. died in the restaurant. Jackie clung to life a bit longer, succumbing in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. She would be buried with Carlos Jr. tucked under her left arm. Her friend Maria Colmenero Silva also died in the shooting. Lawrence Verslias the truck driver, who was days away from retirement, suffered a chest wound that caused his immediate death. As they walked their bikes into the McDonald's parking lot, Joshua Coleman, David Flores, and Omar Hernandez, all aged 11, heard someone yell something at them in Spanish. It was a person trying to warn them. And then they heard the gunshots. Joshua was hit by some shotgun pellets. For a moment, he thought someone had thrown a glass at him. But then, as the gunfire continued, he realized what was going on and lay still on the ground, playing dead. His friends tried to run off, but they couldn't escape the relentless shooting and both got hit. Joshua saw Omar fall down and start vomiting, and David fell too, blood oozing out of his head as his eyes rolled back. Joshua maneuvered himself to a part of the curb covered with his friend's blood and lay there, hoping the shooter would think Joshua was bleeding too and not fire at him anymore. It worked. Joshua survived the day, but unfortunately, David and Omar died in the parking lot. Neva Kane, the manager and young newlywed, suffered shots to the face and chest. She died in seconds. Mr. and Mrs. Victoria, who came from Tijuana to visit their widowed daughter-in-law, died together, 
near the restaurant's exit. Some people were luckier. A 20-year-old employee was working the grill when he heard the first shot. Instinctively, he took off running, heading for the basement stairs. There was an employee dressing room down there, a room which was actually about the size of a closet. He ended up taking shelter there with eight other people, six fellow employees and two customers, a mother and child. Huddling together in the cramped room, their legs growing numb from lack of circulation, they heard the sound of the almost constant gunfire, women screaming, please don't shoot, please don't shoot, and then more gunfire. They also heard what the 20-year-old described as some muffled kind of funk music. This likely came from Huberty's radio, which he sat down on the counter. Another witness recalls Huberty pausing his gunfire briefly to dance to a Michael Jackson song playing over the radio. And yet another witness remembers him laughing as a radio newsman who was discussing the ongoing shooting said there must be multiple gunmen in the McDonald's. Mainly, though, he just kept on firing his weapons, taking shots at people both inside and outside the restaurant. The first call to police about the ongoing carnage came from Betsy Everhart at 3.57 p.m. When the first police got to the scene about eight minutes later, they were in time to see 23-year-old Marcella Flores staggering out, carrying her four-month-old baby. Maricela, who had been shot 17 times, handed her wounded child to a stranger saying, please take care of her. The stranger passed the infant on to police officer Steve Pellegrino, who rushed her to the hospital. Both mother and child lived. When Huberty saw the police and other emergency vehicles roll in, he greeted them with a hail of gunfire from inside the restaurant. One fire engine ended up being struck by bullets five to ten times. One person who got a bird's eye angle of all this insanity was Huberty's daughter, Zelia, then 12. In a 2016 interview, she recalled watching the carnage from her bedroom window a block or so away. I had a perfect view of it. I saw the car there. I saw everything. I saw people I knew who I went to school with. I wasn't thinking anything that time except better them than me. Down at the scene, the police made the obvious decision to call in the SWAT team, but there were problems. Due to traffic conditions and communication tangles, the team did not arrive for a full 35 minutes. And during all that time, Huberty remained inside, discharging his weapons. Witnesses recall him prowling through the restaurant, looking for any victims who showed signs of life, and then firing more bullets into them. Even after the SWAT team finally arrived, there were complications. The team on the scene made the decision to shoot Huberty dead, but that order was quickly rescinded. SWAT team commander Lieutenant Jerry Sanders, who had not yet gotten there, heard about the order over his police radio and had it withdrawn. He said later that this was for logistical reasons, that he wanted to be sure a full complement of SWAT members were on site to storm into the building and secure it once Huberty was killed. In any case, once Sanders got to the McDonald's, he quickly reinstated the order. That happened at 5.13 p.m. 
police fired five shots at Huberty. Four missed, but the fifth found its target, and Huberty went down at 5.17 p.m. Through their binoculars, the police watched the dying gunman lying on the floor. His breathing labored. And then, at 5.27 p.m., his breathing stopped, and it was time for the team to go into the restaurant. SWAT team member Edgar Casamasia described the scene to Steve Hawk of the Times Advocate. Nobody knew how bad it was until they got inside. Everywhere we looked, there were just people lying there. All of a sudden, some eyes would open and people would move. One little boy asked, are you the police? With all the shots that were fired, with all the firepower that came out of that place, we didn't know if there were more suspects. For the first few minutes, we didn't know what we would find. There were all these people. Some had crawled under seats into spaces maybe 8 or 10 inches. There was a girl there who was with another girl who was dead, and she crawled under the dead girl. It was incredible. As we turned them over, some of them wouldn't move because they didn't know who the hell we were. The bodies of the dead began being shipped to the morgue, where it was a special challenge to identify the corpses of the children. Unlike adults, after all, kids don't carry identification. We have already told you the story of a few of the 21 people who died at the McDonald's that afternoon. Now, we would like to give you the names of every one of them. We apologize in advance for any mispronunciations. Elsa Herlinda Borbora Firo, 19. Neva Denise Kane, 22. Michelle Deanne Carncross, 18. Maria Elena Colmenero Silva, 18. Gloria Lopez Gonzalez, 22. Blythe Regan Herrera, 31. Mateo Herrera, 11. Paulina Aquino Lopez, 21. Margarita Padilla, 18. Claudia Perez, 9. Jose Ruben Lozana Perez, 19. Carlos Reyes Jr., 8 months. Jackie Lynn Wright Reyes, 18. Victor Maximilian Rivera, 25. Aristelsi Vuelvas Fargas, 31. Hugo Luis Velasquez Vasquez, 45. Lawrence Herman Verslias, 62. David Flores Delgado, 11. Omar Alonzo Hernandez, 11. Miguel Victoria Uloa, 74. Ada Velasquez Victoria, 69. Reading through the contemporary coverage of the massacre, the most shocking thing might be how shocked everyone seemed to be by it. But now shootings like this seem to happen every month or two, and we as a society seem to have just accepted it, to just sort of shrug and move on. Here are the names of some of the people killed in mass shootings just this year. Trelona Bartkowiak, 49. Suzanne Fountain, 59. Terry Liker, 51. Kevin Mahoney, 61.
Lynn Murray, 62. Ricky Olds, 25. Neven Stenisic, 23. Denny Stong, 20. Eric Talley, 51. But in 1984, a mass shooting like this seemed like a bolt from the blue, an outrageous tragedy. People felt the need to try to understand it. There were some legitimate questions raised about the delay in the SWAT team response and the failure of the mental health counseling service to call Huberty back. There was even talk for a day or two of preserving the gunman's brain so it could be analyzed and studied, as if he went on his killing spree because of some physical condition. All of this seemed to miss the point that the real blame for what happened that day in San Ysidro rested with James Oliver Huberty and the system that allowed him to accumulate a deadly arsenal of weapons. That system remains largely the same today. Until it has changed, the list of the dead will continue to grow and grow. Andrew Wesley, 35. Javarian Lee, 24. Jalea Pridgen, 1. Jadis Pridgen, 3. Harmony Anderson, 5. Nevea Pridgen, 6. Quiddins Anderson, 9. In researching this episode, we relied heavily on contemporary coverage that appeared in the local press. We were especially impressed with the work of the Times Advocate in Escondido, California, and reporters there like Steve Hawk. For the San Pedro News Pilot, Santa Maria Times, Lompoc Record, and the Oroville Mercury Register all did fine work. We would also like to single out the work of Timothy Harper of the AP, Paul Avery and Travis Brown of the Sacramento Bee, Joel Gandelman of the Copley News Service, and Debbie Diamond of the Imperial Beach News. On a more national level, Glenn McNow of the Detroit Free Press did an excellent detailed article on the massacre. You can find all of these stories on newspapers.com. It is a great site. Kevin and I even met there. We will include the link to the 2016 interview with Huberty's daughter in our show notes. While researching this episode, we were surprised to find the San Ysidro crime scene video, which includes images of the corpse of eight-month-old Carlos Reyes Jr., is available for viewing on YouTube. Watching so many people frozen at the moment of their death is not just disturbing, but feels wrong, invasive of their privacy in some deeply fundamental way. Anya won't watch the video, and perhaps you shouldn't either. A part of me, though, feels that it is important to watch it, to see the effects and costs of gun violence in the sort of images that are normally kept hidden from us. We've included the link to the video in our show notes, so you can decide for yourself whether or not to view it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at M Sheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. 
If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.